Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Seacoast. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, online and uh, also at our off-site campuses. We're so glad uh, that you guys have chosen to uh, track with us this weekend. So when was the last time that you celebrated a milestone date? Okay, think about that. It was a milestone birthday or anniversary that, you know, the numbers end in zero or five, or it could have been a milestone year at work, milestone um, uh, significant relationship. We all have those, and they're, they're meaningful. We stop and we think, and we reflect a little bit before we move on. Well, this coming year will be a series of milestone dates for me. In fact, I had a big one last week. I turned 65 years old. Can you imagine that? Yeah, and some people would say it's time to retire. And I would say, no, it's time to refire. And I, I really feel refired and refreshed with some of the things that, uh, the challenges that are ahead. So that's good. And then this summer, Debbie and I will celebrate 45 years of marriage. So there's another one, big one. And I know, I know at, our wedding, uh, at our wedding ceremony, there were some of my friends that never would have thought that you would have heard that date along with that. Uh, in just a few weeks, we celebrate 33 years of Seacoast. Can you imagine? 33 years, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then this year, we celebrate 20 years of ARC. Uh, we started ARC in 2001 and uh, planted churches. That's our church planting arm and this weekend, we're planting seven brand new churches. Last week, we planted four, uh, which will bring the total up to around 925. Isn't that kind of cool? And uh, this is the 20th anniversary. And we're going to celebrate that with an art conference here that was going to be in April. And we pushed it back to October. I come into this building. I got to tell you what I do. I come into this building, both for ARC and for our church. And, and I look at these seats and I go, Oh, I dream of the day where we can sit next to each other, where we don't have to have a row in between and we don't have to wear masks. How many of you are excited about that day that's coming? And it's coming. It's coming. Just this week here at the Mount Pleasant uh, campus, we were able to participate uh, with the city of Mount Pleasant and MUSC and several others. And, and uh, they, they, um, they administered uh, a thousand of the vaccines uh, right here in our own parking lot. I was kind of excited about that. And uh, the day is coming where, um, where, where we're going to be able to do that. But anyway, 20 years of ARC, 20 years of multi-site. The same time we started ARC, the city of Mount Pleasant said you can't build a building. We had to figure it out. Hey, we built it. It just took us 20 years. But uh, we had to figure it out. And we kind of were pioneers in this idea called multi-site. And this is the 20th anniversary of that. Now, churches all over the world are doing uh, doing church uh, in, in multiple locations. And then this is another milestone for me. And one of the reasons I say I'm not retiring, I'm refiring, is this will be the first year of Pastors Collective. Uh, many of you have given, uh, we have, uh, we've been given access to an incredible place here in the Charleston area, which we'll reveal to you in a couple of weeks, that uh, is going to be the retreat center for pastors uh, coming from all over the world uh, to really get uh, fired up and, and uh, uh, to have some soul care 
uh, one of the biggest needs that, that is around. And uh, we're starting that this year. In fact, we're going to start it in just a few months. And so we're very, very excited about that. Appreciate everybody that has given toward that in the legacy offerings. So I've been around a while. And uh, questions I get asked regularly, how have you lasted this long? Well, if I'd have known I was going to last this long, I would have taken better care of myself, frankly. But that was supposed to be kind of funny, but apparently not. <laughs> I always just say, just outlast your critics. That's all you got to do. Just out. How many of you know that they don't build memorials to critics? Just think about that. All right. People ask me, do you ever felt, have you ever felt like giving up? And the answer to that is which time? Which time? How many times? I mean, during personal hard times, you guys, if you've been around long, you know that when we moved to the Charleston area, that within three weeks, four weeks, we had a, serious car wreck, and uh, my mother had just uh, having a terrible time with cancer at the time she later went to, went to heaven, but she had come to visit us for the first time here, and uh, we got in a, a vehicle, and we were going to go see, I think, Charlestown Landing, and where they're building the new 526, then it was new 526, there was a big jam up, and we had a terrible car wreck, and I can remember standing on about the ninth floor, I think, of Medical University looking out at a city that I didn't know and people that I had no relationship with. And my arm around my wife and two of our children are in the hospital. One of them's unconscious and would be so for a couple of weeks. And I remember thinking, why did we come? I mean, let's go back where we know people, you know? Wanted to quit before we even got started. Not long after that, my uh, oldest daughter had a jet ski accident and nearly lost her life. And uh, I, I can remember my wife, Debbie, saying to me, is this the way it's going to be? Is this the challenges that we're going to have to face? And we wanted to quit, honestly. Um, there were challenging times with the church in the early years. But I, I had a vision, just like the, the uh, men and women who are planning churches today. They have a vision for their city, and we want to reach people and see People come to Christ and marriages restored, families healed, and, and uh, just people come into the fullness of what God has for them. And you know, we had 340 people our first week, which was just monster. And it was in the what is now the Volkswagen dealership. Uh, it was a movie theater back then in Mount Pleasant. And uh, I remember calling my best friend, Terry Ilgers, who was working, had a great job at our home church in Denver. And I said, Terry, revival is happening here in Charleston, and we'd had one service. A revival is happening. You've got to quit your job, okay? you got to come help me. I need help. And he, he bid on it, and he did. And uh, we had revival. It's called a Gideon revival. We had less people every week than we had the week before. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but let me tell you what's not an exaggeration is we had less people every year than we had the year before. How would you like to go into the elders with that report? Well, it's going down slower than any other church in town. Okay. I like to say that Seacoast is the slowest growing megachurch in America, in the history of the world. And I wanted to quit. I tried to quit three or four times, and the elders said, you can't. You can't. You started it. You stay with it. Frustrating circumstances that led to multi-site. I mean, we talk about multi-site being this great thing, and you know, you look on Wikipedia and it talks about our story a little bit. It's awesome. 
Well, it wasn't awesome while it was happening. It really wasn't. And there were times when I wanted to quit. And then this year, toughest leadership year uh, in, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, as I watched, you know, the, the, uh, this disease um, uh, and, and then racial tensions and, and Darren Patrick, you know, one of my closest friends, took his own life, and, uh, and then the crazy politics and, and, and watching it tear apart families. I thought, God, I mean, will this ever end? And it will, and God will be glorified in it. But you know what? In 33 years, there have been plenty of potential off-ramps. But here's, here's the one thing that flows all the way through that. We never quit, and I'm glad we didn't. We're in a series right now called Super Bloom, and Josh, our lead pastor, is so excited about it. got a vision for this series. And the big idea is this, is that there, there are, there's this phenomena called a super bloom where in a desert, after a long period of uh, just dryness and, and famine, occasionally there will be a big event, lots of rain, and there will be a bloom in the desert that's called the super bloom, and the desert will come alive. And in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied one of those. He's talking to Israel who had been through a, a tremendous drought. They were under the judgment of God. Yeah, that happens sometimes. They were under the judgment of God. And, and Isaiah says, don't give up because I see flowers in the desert. I see a super bloom. And the idea is this, is that we have been under incredible stress as a nation. We've been under incredible stress as families and, and even as a church. And there's a bloom coming. And we believe this is the year of super bloom in our life. We don't know what's going to happen this year. We do believe there will be challenges. There will be all the things that we have. But we believe that this is going to be a year where we flourish and we blossom. And so Josh asked... Hey, the first week, Josh talked about some of the keys are, are getting planted in the right soil, the soil of God's word, the soil of relationships, the soil of the local church and being deeply planted. And Josh asked me today, I guess it's because I'm the, the old guy around. He said, I want you to talk to us about staying planted. I want you to talk to us about perseverance, about hanging in for the long haul, just staying planted. Most of you know, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and my mother loved to garden. And uh, she just had a green thumb. You know anybody like that? Everything, everything I plant dies, okay? I'm just gonna tell you that, pretty much. My mom had a green plant. She could just, she could plant anything and they would grow. And, and so my mom uh, uh, always had onions. These, uh, I've got some here. These weren't my mom's, but these actually are Harris Teeter onions, I think. But these kind of, these long, skinny kind. You familiar with these? And mom would grow them, and then listen to this. Mom would put them in a mason jar. That's why I've got them in a mason jar right here, in the refrigerator. And these were our snacks when we got home from school. Any of you ever had snacks like that? Some, some people would call it abuse. But I grew to love it. Now, what's interesting is my wife hates even the sound of onions. And so she thinks everybody should. But I kind of like them. Wow. 
That one had a power punch. So what I did was we finally grew a garden a couple, three years ago in our home. Built her one of these little, you know, built-up things. It's not like mom's garden where you till the hard sand. Yeah, you just build up, up a little thing, put a little water in there. It's not rocket science. And um, so I decided, honey, would you mind if I grew some of these? She said, you cannot put them in the refrigerator. It will stink up everything. So I've got my own refrigerator. So, <laughs> so I tried to grow, grow these. I was so excited. Go out and water them, water them, water them. You know, after a little while, I thought, they're ready. They've got these little things sticking up. They're ready. And I pulled them out of the ground. And guess what? They weren't ready. Ruined it. Ruined it. Because I picked them too soon. I took them out of the... I wasn't able to enjoy the fruit of my labor because of my impatience. I picked them before their time. So what I want to do, I don't want that to happen to any of us. So what I want to do is I want to take the next few minutes and talk to you a little bit about endurance and the part that endurance plays in holding the bloom that God wants to do in your life this year. And I want to use a scripture that is, it's, it's, it's probably the primo scripture in the Bible talking about perseverance. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Let's go there. If you have a Bible, turn there. If, if you've got you know, your, uh, your iPhone or whatever you, you use, uh, if you can't afford an iPhone, uh, an inferior product, wh- whatever, whatever you've got, go to version and, and, and pull it up. And we'll have it on the screen. I want to read it out loud at the campuses, everywhere, okay? Everywhere. Let's read it out loud. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such, a lot of times we move our lips when we read out loud. Is it, is it up there? Okay, let's start over again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Stop there. Say that again. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's just break that scripture down. And I want to look at four things that will help us to run the race with endurance that God has for us and to persevere. Here's the first thing. You've got to remember that you're not alone. You've got to remember that you're not alone. It says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So I went duck hunting last weekend. Don't worry, there weren't many ducks that were harmed in the process. I went duck hunting last weekend with, with a group of guys that they're a small group that's kind of moved to different areas of the country, but they're still a group. Uh, these guys have a lot of history, and they invited me to come and just, just be a part of it. It was just a lot, of, a, a lot of fun. These relationships are forged in the fire. Several of them were a part of uh, the men's hike uh, here at Seacoast. And, and so we sat down uh, one night, and they asked me about the pastor's collective. What is that about? And why is there a need for it? And so I talked about what it means to be a pastor and how that these days, um, as, as many as 70% would just quit and do something else. Uh, 71% are, uh, to some degree, depressed right now. 
and uh, talked about just the loneliness that comes. And it's not just pastors. It's a loneliness of leadership. You know, the higher up you climb on a ladder, the lonelier it is. You started out as just one of the girls or one of the guys or whatever, and you get a promotion and your relationships change and you get another promotion and you have fewer and fewer reports. And, and ultimately, it can be, it can be a lonely. It, it really can. So I was talking about that. One of the guys says, well, what they need is a 2 a.m. friend. And I thought about that. I thought, well, talk to me a little bit about that. And they, some of the lingo, I think, from the men's hike. And I thought, you know what? You're right. Because here's what I know about 2 a.m. You ever been awake at 2 a.m.? 2 a.m. lies to you. 2 a.m. tells you that you're the only one. It tells you that nobody understands what you're going through and what you're feeling. 2 a.m. tells you that you just don't have what it takes. It tells you that nobody cares. It tells you that nobody has felt this kind of pain. 2 a.m. lies to you. And that's why you need 2 a.m. friends. You know who's a 2 a.m. friend? Jesus is. Do you know that? I love, you know, reading the story of Jesus one of the things that I really love about it is when it says that, uh, that he was human, just like you and I. I don't understand how he was God and human at the same time. I don't. I, some people will tell you they understand that. That's bigger than my brain. I don't have to understand everything. I just accept it. But I do know that the Bible says that he was tempted in every way as I am. Every temptation that you have ever felt, Jesus felt. He knows how you feel. And not only does he know how you feel, he conquered those temptations. He doesn't look down at you and go, wow, you know, since I did, you should. He says, let me help you. In fact, the last thing that he said to his disciples before he went away is he said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, in fact, here's how he said it. Be sure of this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you find yourself at one of those 2 a.m. moments, you need to understand and know that Jesus is there with you. And you need to, you know, when you say that, thank you, Lord, thank you for being here, it kind of brings his presence into your, into your, into your framework. But not only is Jesus, but the writer of Hebrews says that there's a mighty cloud of witnesses. And here's what he's talking about. Some of the people he's talking about is in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, the verse that we read today started off with what, what word? What was the first word of the verse we read today? Therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to look before and figure out what therefore is there for. Does that make sense? And so if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, it's, it's kind of, a lot of people call it the hall of fame of faith. It's these, it's these great people of faith who went through all kinds of stuff. Many of them achieved great things because of their faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things that we hope for, okay? And they, they accomplished great things. Others actually died in the midst of their journey, some being tortured, some just naturally, but they stayed in faith. They stayed in faith. And, and here's what, here's what the, the writer of Hebrews says, is that there is a mighty cloud of witnesses. All of these people who have gone before you and stood in faith, they're cheering you on. They're cheering you on. I don't know what that means. 
I mean, I, I try to get most of my theology right. Don't build your theology on what I'm going to say right now. This is just Greg. Okay, this is Greg. But I wonder if God doesn't let that mighty cloud of witnesses get a peek every once in a while at our progress and just say, just cheer us on. Have you ever had this sense that there were things bigger than you that were cheering you on and pulling you on? And it's not just those people in Hebrews chapter 11, but it's people like my mother who has gone on before and my, my grandfather, my grandmother, who was the first one who committed her life to Christ in our family and changed the whole culture of our family. I sense that they're cheering us on because we are not alone. We are not alone. There are potential 2 a.m. friends all around you today. That's what I got from these guys at the duck hunt is that um, somehow in a church, they connected with one another. I would tell them, I would ask them to tell their story. They, they met this guy in the foyer. They met this guy somewhere else. And, 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 and they, they said, you know what? Why don't, we, why don't we walk this thing together? And they're lifetime relationships. And you know what? There are potentially those kind of relationships all around you today. In fact, as you walk out of here, I believe that today is a divine appointment by God. I don't think anybody is here by accident. I think God has led you here to hear the message that we're giving right now. And there, will, there very well may be people around you who could be lifelong 2 a.m. friends. But here's the, here's the point. Here's the point. If you're going to persevere, you've got to understand that you are not alone. Here's the second idea on persevering because God wants you to bloom in the desert for a long, long time. Get rid of the extra weight. Get rid of the, anybody else have a COVID-30? Hey, I ain't 919. I got a COVID-30 right here, you know? <laughs> you know, wouldn't it, you know, let me tell you what the most frustrating thing in life would be. If you died, went to heaven, and you're standing before Jesus, and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, except for one thing. It was my will that you weigh 25 pounds more than you weigh right now. And that would just frustrate me to know in all the chocolate I could have eaten, okay? That's bad theology, so don't take that one, all right? And that's not the weight I'm talking about. It's not the weight I'm talking about. You know, I love, I love watching Olympic swimming. Anybody else like watching Olympic swimming? I like watching Olympic swimming because everybody's bald. Right? Even the women, okay? What do they do? They shave their hair off so that there is nothing that weighs them down in the race that they're running. Whatever it takes. They even have these little swimsuits that are built in a certain way to shed water so that nothing will hold them back. And that's the picture that the writer of the Hebrews is giving here. He says, throw off, throw off everything that hinders you and the race that you have. So here's my question to you. What do you need to get rid of that's holding you back? Okay? What do you need to get rid of that's holding you back? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take notes. Maybe you do it mentally in your head. Maybe you got a paper. Maybe it's on your, your phone, whatever it is. I'm gonna give you a list, and if one of those things really resonates, just kind of write it down, and it may just spark something else too. I might not know what's holding you back but I do know some things that hold people back, okay? When you hold on to guilt, long after repentance and God's forgiveness, that's gonna hold you back. 
Maybe at some point in your life, may have been not very long ago, may have been a few years ago, you did something that is so not you. Something that you are so ashamed of. And, and, and you went to God. And you asked for God's forgiveness. And guess what? He did, because that's his nature. And he does it the first time, okay? But you've never learned to, to forgive yourself. And you've got this guilt. And, and what will happen is that guilt which is from your enemy because he knows the race and the bloom that God has for you, that guilt will hold you back. And there are some of you here today that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Guilt is holding you back. You need to deal with it. You know, when you hold on to your past, when God has commanded you to run free into your future, that holds you back. And sometimes it's different than guilt. Sometimes it's looking at what could have been, what should have been, what would have been if I'd only done whatever? If I'd only made that deal, if I'd only married that one, if I'd only hung it, whatever. It could be anything. And you know, what that, you know what that's good for? Nothing. Hold you back because God has a future that's good for you. He wants you to bloom. Listen, holding on to bitterness will hold you back. Bitterness only destroys yourself. Doesn't destroy the other person. It only destroys yourself. Holding on to relationships long after God has told you to let go will hold you back. There may be a relationship that you're holding on to and your godly friends are kind of like, you know, why are you doing that? And there's a voice inside that goes, this is not my will for you. And, and yet you hold on to it. And all that's doing is holding you back from the bloom that God has for you in the future. Holding on to offenses when God wants you to reconcile. Has anybody been offended by anybody this year? Clean the deck on it. Don't walk out of here hanging on to an offense because all it will do is keep you from running the race that God has for you. Have you ever said any, or done anything stupid? Anybody here? But here's what I want. I want grace for me and law for you, right? How about grace for everybody? How about grace for everybody, okay? That'll hold you back. Here's another one. Holding on to practices that aren't evil in themselves but are becoming increasingly erosive and heart-numbing. See, a hindrance is not always something sinful. Even wholesome things can become less and less consistent with the path that God has for you. It's a season that's passed. Maybe it's time to lay it down. It can often be the hardest hindrances to let go of because they're more subjective and easier to rationalize. Okay? It's not sin. I mean, it's not that bad. They're not wrong. They're just wrong right now. And there may be one of those that's holding you back. If you're going to persevere, remember, you're not alone. Get rid of the extra weight. Throw off everything that hinders. Let me give you the third one. Don't let sin complicate things. He says the sin that so easily entangles. Would you say the word entangles with me? Entangles. That's what sin does. When you don't do, deal with sin, it entangles you. It just gets worse. And it doesn't get better. Not dealt with. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. We live on a pond. There are fish in the pond. My grandkids... Every once in a while, will ask me, Papa, 
I want to go fishing. That's not hard. We just go out to the pond. And so not long ago, two of my grandkids uh, went out with me and, and uh, got fishing rods, you know, and, and uh, uh, I said, do you need Papa to help you to cast? Because that's the hardest part is casting out there, right? Oh, they said, no, we know how to cast. No problem, Papa, until it was a problem, okay? One of them threw it out there, and you know, when you've got these reels, you got to do the thing with your thumb and get it right. If you don't, it can end up like this on the screen. Uh, that's kind of what I felt like when I was going to try to untangle it. And I kept trying, and I kept trying, and I kept trying, and finally, you know what I did? As I cut the line, cut this line, put the hook back on, turned around, and the kids are upstairs playing somewhere. They could care less. But I thought that's a beautiful word picture of sin. You can work with it, work with it, work with it. You, you just got to take it to Jesus and say, you know what, here it is. Cut it out. Cut it out. See, see sin uh, has to be dealt with properly or it will entangle you. Don't excuse it. Confess it. God can't forgive an excuse, okay? God can't make an excuse better. God can forgive sin and make it much better, okay? So just deal with sin. Get, get, uh, don't get in, entangled. That's the cool thing about baptism. You know, we're, we're gonna do baptisms today, and sometimes, you know, we're afraid to come to God with our sin because we think it'll be a surprise to him. How do you know it's hard to surprise an omniscient God? No, no. Baptism is when we, 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 we can point to, uh, we can point to a, a time where we, we said, you know what, I identified with Jesus and he forgave my sin, all my sin of the past, all sin in the future. I just confess it. And today we're going to have baptism at all of our campuses. And some of you came prepared for that. It was so much fun last night. Others didn't come prepared for it. It's okay. This is your day. We've got clothes for you. We've got towels for you. And if you'll hustle out right at the end of our, our time during our response time, your picture will be on the screen as it's going on, and we will cheer you on just like that mighty cloud of witnesses is doing, okay? But you gotta deal with sin. You gotta deal with sin. Be honest about it. If it's habitual and you need more help, there are things like Celebrate Recovery and 12-step groups, and those are some of my heroes who become accountable for their sin because they know they need people to help. So if you're gonna persevere, you gotta remember you're not alone. Throw off dead weight. Refuse to let sin entangle you. Last one is this. Run hard and stay in your own lane. Run hard. He says, run with perseverance. The race, what? That's marked out for you. My race is different then your race. We're not all in the same race. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same calling from God. They're all important, but you just got to run your own race. And let me tell you, what will take the, 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 the wind out of your sails, what will tire you out in your race quicker than anything else is comparison. When you compare your lane to my lane, Comparison is a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. When we compare ourselves to somebody, there are only two feasible outcomes. We're better than them or they're better than us. The only fair comparison is yourself versus who you were a month ago. <laughs> How much more am I becoming like Jesus? If we're gonna bloom for a long time, we've got to learn to run the race marked out for 
us. I just said, my race is different than yours. You gotta, don't overreact when somebody passes you, okay? That's just their lane, all right? <laughs> you ever been to a high school reunion? Those can be soul-crushing. <laughs> I remember going, I went to one. I remember the same guys who thought they were God's gift to women back then, still do today. I remember getting up from Deb and going to talk to somebody, coming back, and one of these losers had moved in on my wife. The high school reunion. I thought, this is not going to play well in the papers. Pastor gets in fight at high school reunion with the same guy he fought with years ago. Yeah, whatever. Whipped him then, I could whip him today, you know? Just a thought. But, but you, know, you know, at a high school reunion, you know, we diet for three months before you go to it. So you look at your best. Then you've got your resume there. And, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm the vice president of the vice president's office of the senior vice president of whatever, you know? And it's just, it's like, it's like when, when, when somebody passes you or you think they pass you, you just gotta, don't, don't let that hold you back. See, stay focused on your race because what's good for them may not be good for you. You know, if you got everything somebody else got, it, it might destroy you. The important question is not, am I better than you? The important question is, am I running my race? Am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I staying in my lane? Am I still blooming in the desert? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus every day? Galatians 6, 9, I'm gonna close with this. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, there's a couple of things there that are your responsibility and a couple of things that are God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to focus your concentration on doing good, doing the right things, getting rid of things that hinder, avoid sin's tangles, staying in your lane, staying in your lane. And God promises, if you do that, that the harvest is coming, that the bloom is coming, that God will give all the stuff that's necessary. But there's one more thing that you've got to do. You got to do good, and you got to refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. You know, every time I've wanted to quit, all those times that I listened earlier in the message, there was a bloom right at the edge of that. There was a bloom that we entered into either as a church or as a person or as a family that we never would have experienced had we given up. Don't quit, stay planted, persevere. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for this wonderful group of people who gathered today here in campuses, on the internet, wherever we happen to be. God, I, I, I pray that your kingdom would come in our lives today. I pray that there would be divine appointments that would change lifetimes. I pray that some would walk into a relationship with you that would change their life. Others would walk into a relationship with others that would change their life for a long time. 
God, that we would deal with the stuff that keeps us from running the race. God, I pray that some who are here ready to quit would, would be refired and re-inspired and ready to start something new. So God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.